grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever heard people talk about a loved one who has gone astray from the faith? Maybe that person is living in immorality, caught up in some ongoing unrepentant sin, or maybe that person doesn't come to church at all, or maybe that person has admitted that he has strayed away from the faith altogether. When people talk about people who appear to have fallen away, we often hear them say, well, I know that despite what that person is doing, I know it's not right, but deep down I still know that that person is a Christian. We often hear that type of thought when we consider those people who have fallen away, that deep down we really want them to still be a believer in Jesus, a repentant Christian, one who trusts in Jesus. The reality is, deep down, we want them to believe. We want them to be repentant. We, deep down, because of our Christian conviction, want them to turn from their sin, to turn to the Lord in faith, and to confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord. We do not want them to be living outside of the grace of God. Now, deep down in every person is sin, corruption, and wickedness, even unbelief. For Jesus declared in Mark 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. When Jesus says out of the heart, he's saying that which is deep-seated in the person that is what is deep down. Now, it's hard to accept it when a loved one has rejected important Christian teachings or doesn't come to church or has adopted a lifestyle contrary to God's word or has completely rejected the faith. It is painful. We know what it means. It means that if that person dies tonight without turning from his sin and repentance and faith, he would then be condemned. But rather than acknowledging this reality and doing the right things, we sometimes try to comfort ourselves, lying perhaps to ourselves, saying, deep down, I know that he really does believe, even though his words or his actions say otherwise. But let's not lie to ourselves, because it doesn't help us. It doesn't help them either, because if others are caught up in sin or false belief, it's our duty, it's our obligation to actually reach out to them, to talk to them, to address them. If we want them to receive that same salvation which we enjoy, the salvation which we have in Christ, the blessings we have through our Lord Jesus Christ, we also need to love them enough to help them see their error, their sin, so that they can see Christ and that they can live. Two weeks ago, we heard about Jesus reaching out to people whom the Pharisees dismissed as wicked people, tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was eating 
with them. The Pharisees took offense by the fact that Jesus reached out to these people who had been lost. And so Jesus teaches the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son, all to show the great joy in heaven and on earth when sinners repent and turn from their wickedness and are received back into Christ's fold. Last week, we also heard Jesus give us a lesson in mercy that we are to forgive, that we are to condemn not, that we are to even judge not. But when he teaches us this lesson on mercy, he, first, he says, first take the log that is in your own eye out, so that way you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. So he's saying, first you need to be a repentant Christian, trusting in Christ, and then you will see clearly to have mercy on your neighbor so that you can go up to him and help him remove the speck that is in his own eye. So that way, he will not remain on that path to eternal condemnation. So that way, he will see clearly the forgiveness of sins earned by Christ and enjoy it. In today's gospel, people are pressing about Jesus to hear the word of God, which is a mark of being a Christian. These people wanted to be in the presence of Christ. They took what it, they did what it took to be in the presence of Christ. They wanted to hear him. They honored God by upholding the third commandment. And so if we wish to be saved, we need to uphold the word of God as our dearest treasure as they were and trust that Christ sets us free from sin, death, and the devil through that saving word, that word which they were hearing which was proceeding from the mouth of Jesus. Now, if these people in today's gospel are pressing about Jesus so that they could hear him preach, he must be saying some pretty nice things, right? I mean, only those who will listen to a speaker will want to listen to one who doesn't cause offense, never creates any waves, speaks in a delightful and humorous, entertaining manner, Right? Isn't that what Jesus would have been doing? They all know that he's God, do they not? So they're all attentive to his every word, right? Actually, that really wasn't the case in the context of today's gospel reading. For this account takes place very early in Jesus' ministry. Very, very early in his ministry. Most people do not yet know who he is. So as they press about him to hear this word, they're still trying to figure him out. And the word that he preaches isn't some pious platitude that makes everyone feel all good and fuzzy inside, but Matthew reports in the parallel text what Jesus is saying. Jesus, from that time on, opened his mouth and, and preached, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was telling these people that they need to repent. He was declaring to them by saying, repent, that they are sinners, that they need to turn, that they need to follow Christ, for he is near, he is with them, he is now among them. And this shows us of additional characteristics of Christians, in addition, in addition to pressing out about Jesus to hear this word of God, 
but they keep on listening to the word. Even if this word doesn't match what they're looking for, even if this word may offend their sensibilities, because as a Christian, we know that the word which God teaches us in scripture, the word which the pastor preaches to us is spirit and truth, and it sets us free, for in this word we hear of the saving work of Christ, that he loves us and laid down his life for us. And so we listen to this word, knowing that God's word is the best for us, even when we hear that stinging rebuke of the law. Jesus, as Jesus said, repent. And as Christians, we continue to live lives of repentance. Our Synod President Matthew Harrison has noted that in many of the great times in which the church has been revived or a great movement has occurred within the church, it begins with repentance. Citing John the Baptist who preaches repentance. Citing Jesus who when he opens his mouth, the first thing he says in his preaching as recorded in the Gospels is repent. And Luther, at the beginning of the Reformation, not knowing what the future would hold, had nailed the 95 theses for a way to debate and to discuss them. He wrote in the first, very first thesis of the 95 theses, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. The entire life, repentance. We don't just repent for the big sins. We don't just repent for those sins that trouble us the most, but we plead, we plead guilty of all sin. We continually confess our sin. That's why we gather in church each week, and we have this opportunity to speak repentance as the liturgy leads us through the confession of sins. We plead guilty of all sin, even those that we do not know. That's why in Luther's evening prayer, we pray in repentance. That's why the Lord's Prayer, which is given for us Christians to pray, and as the Catechism teaches us to do so at morning and at mealtime and at night, we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The entire life of the Christian is one of repentance. We confess our sin. But it's not about the repentance. It's not about what we're doing. The Holy Spirit works repentance in us by faith. And Christ forgives our sin. He is faithful and just. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. The purpose of repentance, of confessing our sin, is what follows. The absolution, the declaration of God's grace, that our sins are taken away and that we are now children of God. And so we never grow beyond repentance. We keep on sinning, and so we keep on repenting. And Christ, who freely forgives us, keeps on taking our sin away. And so Jesus preached repentance, and he proclaimed forgiveness in his name, declaring that he is that lamb who would die in their place to take away their sin and grant them his very righteousness. Now, as Jesus preached, the multitude continued to press about him to hear this word of God. 
The only trouble is, is as they got closer, then the rest of the crowd would not be able to hear him. So Jesus asked to enter into Simon Peter's boat and use that boat as our Lord's pulpit, where he continues to preach a little bit from the shore, the life-saving, life-giving word as people stood along that beach. Once he was done preaching, he then instructed Peter to let down his nets for a catch. At first, Peter objected. Peter had used his reason in a way that God does not want. We have to recognize that God does give us reason. He gives us a rational mind. He gives us the ability to think and figure things out. He gives us reason so that we can survive, so that we can grow in understanding, so that we can invent things, even so that we can be creative. But this reason which God gives us can also get in the way of our Christian faith. When a baby is baptized, we believe that that baby is a child of God, that the Holy Spirit has worked faith in that baby, that it is impossible for that baby not to believe upon his baptism because the Holy Spirit has been at work and the Holy Spirit has worked faith according to the way he wills. But many think that babies cannot have faith. Many think that babies do not yet have a reason to apprehend and ascertain the word of God, and therefore they can't have faith. That is not true. God the Holy Spirit works faith in people. It's not synergistic where God cooperates with the individual to create faith in that person by using that person's reason. Instead, God, the Holy Spirit, causes the faith, works that faith in people through his word. And you know what? As opposed to reason creating faith, as some will assert, the reality is reason often hinders faith. Peter reasons, saying we fished all night, acknowledging that that would have been the best time for them to be catching fish, but they didn't catch us catch a thing. And now Peter is basically saying, how do you expect us to catch fish now? They're not biting, and especially they won't at this hour. People frequently use their reason to get in the way of God's word. They feel that God must not have meant what he said about immorality or condemnation, or some use their reason to try to ascertain that God's word should contain errors or they'll use their reason to state that the creation account is false or they'll use their reason to conclude that there are many fairy tales found in the scriptures or they'll use their reason to just try and explain things away so that they can say these passages do not apply to me or they'll use their reason to try to make the scriptures not match society and therefore they can just go along with society reasoning that that must be mean what God wants it to mean today. They'll use their reason to explain passages away like you shall not murder and come up with all sorts of exceptions around it in order to get around this passage. But that's not how God wants us to use our God-given reason. Instead, we use our reason to be subservient to, to the word of God to come to an understanding of what God is teaching us through the word, to receive this word as God's divine truth, even if it doesn't always seem the most reasonable to our flesh. And that's what Simon Peter was doing. 
But then, by the grace of God and the working of the Holy Spirit, Peter adds, Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down a net for a catch. I will do this because you said so. Peter realized that Jesus should know more than Peter does. He figured it's always best to listen to Jesus. For those who deep down believe in Jesus, this is exactly what they'll do. They'll keep on listening to Jesus despite all the voices around us telling us to deny him or certain tenets of his word. We'll listen to the entire word of God because we know that this word is what's best for us and that it's a light which no darkness can overcome. We will listen to God's word, especially as he shows us of his love and peace and mercy and grace. And so Peter does what Jesus tells him to do. He lets down his net for a catch, and he doesn't just catch one boatload, but two boatloads of fish. Peter could have begun jumping up and down saying, now I know there is a God. Now I really know that he loves me. Look at this fortune that I have stumbled upon. I am so blessed. And at first it looks like Peter might actually try and do that because he goes up to Jesus. He falls down before Jesus at his knees. But then Peter doesn't utter words like the ones I just said. But instead, he says something completely unexpected. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Seriously, Peter, telling Jesus to go away? Yet that's what many do. Whenever they replace God's word with their opinions, they're telling Jesus to leave. Whenever people refuse to repent, we tell Jesus we don't want his forgiveness or Christ himself to be in our midst. But then Peter explains why. He explains why he would say these shocking words, depart from me. It turns out Peter is different than most people who don't want anything to do with Jesus. Because Peter says, for I am a sinful man. He really doesn't want Jesus to go away. Instead, Peter knows that he has no right to receive anything good from Jesus. Peter, Peter's own past, Peter's own sinfulness, Peter's temptations were flashing before him. And he knows that he should not be in the presence of God Almighty. He knows that this person who told him to let down a net for a catch is not just some ordinary man with a powerful message, but that he is God. And so Peter confesses his sin. After all, what did Peter hear Jesus preach to him? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now through this miracle, this work of repentance is taking fruit. And Peter is acknowledging that he is a sinner. Yes, Peter is mistaken in asking Jesus to depart, but he's correct in admitting that he's a sinner and does not be belong in God's presence. All who are Christian deep down know that they do not deserve anything good from our gracious God. They know they deserve God's wrath and displeasure, temporal death and eternal punishment. But what does Jesus do to this repentant sinner who is at the knees of Jesus? Jesus tells Peter, do not be afraid. 
By telling Peter this, Jesus is saying, you will not die being in my presence. I have forgiven you. You are a child of God. You, Peter, are my brother. Now, every time you hear the absolution, this is what God is saying to you. He is saying, you do not need to be afraid. You will not die, but that you will live. You will live eternally, for you are forgiven. You are a child of God, that Christ's blood, which was shed on the cross, covers you and all of your sin, so that you are washed and made white in his blood and appear before our Lord as righteous and holy, innocent. And that is why we are a Christian. That's why we desire people who may have turned away from the Lord to hear this word of Christ so that they can receive forgiveness, life, and salvation to learn of a merciful and gracious God to actually be in the presence of Christ and live. Jesus continues to speak to Peter. He calls him a, to be a minister of the gospel. Jesus says to Peter, from now on you will catch men. And Peter follows Jesus, which is an amazing miracle, if you think about it. This is a great miracle that, that Peter caught all of this fish at the working of Jesus. It's also a miracle that Peter didn't say, wait a minute, I just caught two boatloads of fish. Can't I cash this in first? Look at all the money I could make that could be used to advance your kingdom. Look at this great fortune we can use to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead, Peter realized that he already had the greatest fortune, forgiveness, life, and salvation in, in Christ. Deep down, Peter probably wanted that treasure, but instead he received a greater treasure in Christ. Jesus takes a sinner and places him in the office of the ministry. And our Lord's track record has been the same ever since. Only sinners become pastors. Forgiven sinners are sent by Christ to feed his lambs. It is a blessing to serve you in this holy office. It is my prayer that you are edified by faithful preaching. It may not always be what you want, but the word delivers to you what you need. And so continue to, as this crowd did, on this day at the Sea of Galilee, press about the word and receive Christ through his word and sacrament. For through these means, God is showering you with his love. He is declaring you righteous. He is declaring that you have salvation and he comes into your midst with grace and mercy. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Amen.